Hello, I'm Cheryl, and this is Sleep Tight Relax, a calming bedtime podcast for the young and young at heart. Our sleep story is the next chapter of Peter Pan. In this chapter, Wendy and the boys are at the lagoon when the pirates arrive with Tiger Lily. Peter decides to rescue her by tricking the pirates into believing he is Hook. Everything is going fine until Hook himself shows up. Then things don't go so well for Peter. But before we continue with our story, let's start by breathing together. We can practice our deep breathing anytime or anywhere. But before bed, let's first turn down the lights, get comfortable, and make sure that everything feels as it should. We are going to do a series of deep, slow breaths. When you breathe in, be sure to slowly breathe through your nose. And when you breathe out, try to push all the air out of your lungs. We often talk about taking belly breaths or filling your belly up like a balloon. If that helps you visualize the kind of breath to take, then please try. You can use whatever works for you. Now, inhale slowly through your nose and count to four in your head, filling your lungs with more air with each number. Hold your breath and count to four in your head Slowly exhale through your mouth, focusing on getting all the air out of your lungs. Take your time and focus on slow, controlled, deep breaths. Breathe in, two, three, four. Hold, two, three, four. Breathe out, two, three, four. Breathe in, two, three, four. Hold, two, three, four. Breathe out, two, three, four. Perfect. You can continue to practice your deep breathing as we continue with the next chapter of Peter Pan. The children often spent long summer days on this lagoon, swimming or floating most of the time, playing the mermaid games in the water and so forth. You must not think from this that the mermaids were on friendly terms with them, 
On the contrary, it was among Wendy's lasting regrets that all the time she was on the island, she never had a kind word from one of them. The mermaids treated all the boys in the same way, except, of course, Peter, who chatted with them by the hour and sat on their tails when they got cheeky. He even gave Wendy one of their combs. Wendy had never seen the lagoon by moonlight because she had strict rules about everybody being in bed by seven. She was often at the lagoon, however, on sunny days after rain, when the mermaids come up in extraordinary numbers to play with their bubbles. The bubbles of many colors made in rainbow water they treat as balls, hitting them from one to another with their tails. Sometimes hundreds of mermaids will be playing in the lagoon at a time, and it is quite a pretty sight. But the moment the children tried to join in, they had to play by themselves, or the mermaids immediately disappeared. It must also have been rather pretty to see the children resting on a rock for half an hour after their midday meal. Wendy insisted on their doing this, and it had to be a real rest, even though the meal was make-believe. So they lay there in the sun and their bodies glistened in it while she sat beside them and looked important. It was one such day and they were all on Marooner's Rock. The rock was not much larger than their great bed, but of course, they all knew how not to take up too much room and they were dozing, or at least lying with their eyes shut and pinching occasionally when they thought Wendy was not looking. She was very busy stitching. While she stitched, a change came to the lagoon. Little shivers ran over it, and the sun went away, and shadows stole across the water, turning it cold. Wendy could no longer see to thread her needle, and when she looked up, the lagoon that had always been such a laughing place seemed cold and unfriendly. Of course, she should have roused the children at once because it was no longer good for them to sleep on a rock grown chilly. But she was a young mother and she did not know this. She thought you must simply stick to your rule about half an hour after the midday meal. So, though she was nervous and she longed to hear their voices, she would not wake them. Even when she heard the sound of muffled oars, though her heart was in her mouth, she did not wake them. She stood over them to let them have their sleep. Was it not brave of Wendy? It was well for those boys then that there was one among them who could sniff danger even in his sleep. Peter sprang up 
as wide awake at once as a dog, and with one warning cry, he roused the others. He stood motionless, one hand to his ear. Pirates, he cried. The others came closer to him. All they could do was to stand ready to obey. The order came sharp and incisive. Dive. There was a gleam of legs, and instantly the lagoon seemed deserted. Marooner's Rock stood alone as if it were itself marooned. The boat drew nearer. It was the pirate dinghy with three figures in it, Smee and Starkey, and the third, a captive, no other than Tiger Lily. Her hands and ankles were tied. She was to be left on the rock. She had been caught boarding the pirate ship, and this was her punishment. In the gloom, the two pirates did not see the rock till they crashed into it. Hey, you! cried a voice that was Smee's. Here's the rock. Now then, what we have to do is to hoist the girl onto it and leave her there. Quite near the rock, but out of sight, two heads were bobbing up and down. Peter's and Wendy's. Peter was determined to save Tiger Lily. So he imitated the voice of Hook. Ahoy there, ye lovers, he called. It was a marvelous imitation. The captain, said the pirates, staring at each other in surprise. He must be swimming out to us, Starkey said, when they had looked for him. We are putting the girl on the rock. Smee called out, Set her free, came the astonishing answer. Free? Yes, cut her ties and let her go. But Captain, at once, do you hear? cried Peter. This is strange, Smee gasped. Better do what the Captain orders, said Starkey nervously. Aye, aye, Smee said and he cut Tiger Lily's cords. At once, she slid into the water. Of course, Wendy was very happy over Peter's cleverness, but she knew that he would be elated also and would very likely crow and give himself away. So at once, her hand went out to cover his mouth, but she froze for... Boat ahoy, rang over the lagoon, in Hook's voice. And this time, it was not Peter who had spoken. Peter may have been about to call out, but his face puckered in a whistle of surprise instead. Boat ahoy, again came the cry. Now Wendy understood. The real Hook was also in the water. He was swimming to the boat, and as his men showed a light to guide him, he had soon reached them. In the light of the lantern, 
Wendy saw his hook grip the boat's side. She saw his rugged face as he rose, dripping from the water and shaking. She would have liked to swim away, but Peter would not budge. Peter signed to her to listen. The two pirates were very curious to know what had brought their captain to them, but he sat with his head on his hook in a position of profound melancholy. Captain, is all well? They asked timidly, but he answered with a moan. Ugh. He sighs, said Smee. He sighs again, said Starkey. And yet a third time he sighs, said Smee. What's up, Captain? Then at last he spoke passionately. The game's up, he cried. Those boys have found a mother. Though she was frightened, Wendy swelled with pride. Oh, horrible day, cried Starkey. What's a mother? asked the ignorant Smee. Wendy was so shocked that she exclaimed, He doesn't know. And always after this, she felt that if you could have a pet pirate, Smee would be her one. Peter pulled her beneath the water, for Hook had started up, saying, What was that? I heard nothing, said Starkey, raising the lantern over the water. And as the pirates looked, they saw a strange sight. It was the nest I have told you of, floating on the lagoon, and the never bird was sitting on it. See, said Hook in answer to Smee's question, that is a mother. What a lesson. The nest must have fallen into the water, but would the mother desert her eggs? No. Smee, much impressed, gazed at the bird as the nest floated by. But the more suspicious Starkey said, If she is a mother, perhaps she is hanging about here to help Peter. Hook winced. Aye, he said. That is what bothers me. He was roused from this sadness by Smee's eager voice. Captain, said Smee, could we not kidnap these boys' mothers and make her our mother? It is a princely scheme, cried Hook, and at once it took practical shape in his great brain. We will capture the children and carry them to the boat. The boys we will make walk the plank and Wendy shall be our mother. Again, Wendy forgot herself. Never, she cried and bobbed. What was that? But they could see nothing. They thought it must have been but a leaf in the wind. Do you agree, my boys? Asked Hook. Aye, they both said. By this time, they were on the rock and suddenly Hook remembered Tiger Lily. Where is the girl? He demanded abruptly. He had a playful humor at moments, and they thought this was one of those moments. That's all right, Captain, Smee answered complacently. We let her go. Let her go, cried Hook. Twas your own orders, he said. You called over the water to us to let her go, said Starkey. 
Brimstone and gall, thundered Hook. What is going on here? His face had gone black with rage, but he saw that they believed their words, and he was startled. Lads, he said, shaking a little, I gave no such order. It is passing strange, Smee said, and they all fidgeted uncomfortably. Hook raised his voice, but there was a quiver in it. Whoever is in this dark lagoon tonight, he cried, do you hear me? Of course Peter should have kept quiet, but of course he did not. Thinking this would be a great joke, he immediately answered in Hook's voice, Odds, bobs, hammer and tongs, I hear you. In that supreme moment, Hook did not blanch, even at the gills, but Smee and Starkey clung to each other in fear. Who are you, stranger? Speak, Hook demanded. I am James Hook, replied the voice, captain of the Jolly Roger. You are not, you are not, Hook cried hoarsely. Brimstone and gall, the voice retorted. Say that again and I'll cast anchor in you. Hook tried a more ingratiating manner. If you are Hook, he said almost humbly, come tell me, who am I? A codfish, replied the voice. Only a codfish. A codfish? Hook echoed blankly. And it was then, but not till then, that his proud spirit broke. He saw his men draw back from him. Have we been captained all this time by a codfish, they muttered. Suddenly Hook tried the guessing game. Hook, he called, have you another voice? Now Peter could never resist a game, and he answered blithely in his own voice. I have. And another name? Aye, aye. Vegetable? asked Hook. No. Mineral? Nope. Animal. Yes. Man? No. This answer rang out scornfully. Boy? Yes. Ordinary boy? No. Wonderful boy? To Wendy's pain, the answer that rang out this time was, Yes. Are you in England? No. Are you here? Yes. Hook was completely puzzled. You ask him some questions, he said to the others, wiping his damp brow. Smee reflected. I can't think of a thing, he said regretfully. Can't guess, can't guess, groaned Peter. Do you give up? Of course, in his pride, he was carrying the game too far, and the pirates saw their chance. Yes, yes. They answered eagerly. Well then, he cried, I am Peter Pan. Pan. In a moment, Hook was himself again, and Smee and Starkey were his faithful henchmen. Now we have him, Hook shouted. Into the water, Smee, Starkey, mind the boat, get him. He leaped as he spoke, and simultaneously came the voice of Peter. Are you ready, boys? Aye, aye, from various parts of the lagoon.
then get the pirates. The fight was short and sharp. John gallantly climbed into the boat and held Starkey. There was a fierce struggle. He wiggled overboard and John leapt after him. The dinghy drifted away. Here and there, a head bobbed up in the water and there was a flash followed by a cry or a whoop. In the confusion, some even fought with their own side. Where all this time was Peter? He was seeking bigger game. The others were all brave boys and they must not be blamed for staying away from the pirate captain. But there was one who did not fear him. There was one prepared to enter that circle. Strangely, it was not in the water that they met. Hook rose to the rock to breathe, and at the same moment, Peter scaled it on the opposite side. The rock was slippery as a ball, and they had to crawl rather than climb. Neither knew that the other was coming. Each, feeling for a grip, met the other's arm. In surprise, they raised their heads. Their faces were almost touching. So they met. Quick as though Peter prepared to start the battle when he thought that he was higher up the rock than his foe, it would not have been fighting fair. So he gave the pirate a hand up to help him. It was then that Hook bit him. Not the pain of this, but its unfairness was what dazed Peter. It made him quite helpless. He could only stare. Every child is affected this way the first time he is treated unfairly. No one ever gets over the first unfairness. No one except Peter. He often met it, but he always forgot it. I suppose that was the real difference between him and all the rest. So when he met it now, it was like the first time, and he could just stare, helpless. A few minutes afterwards, the other boys saw Hook in the water, striking wildly for the ship, for the crocodile was in pursuit of him. On ordinary occasions, the boys would have swum alongside cheering, but they had lost both Peter and Wendy and were scouring the lagoon for them, calling them by name. They found the dinghy and went home in it shouting, Peter, Wendy, as they went, but no answer came. When their voices stopped, there came silence over the lagoon and then a feeble cry. Help, help. Two small figures were beating against the rock. The girl had fainted and lay on the boy's arm. With a last effort, Peter pulled her up the rock and then lay down beside her. Even as he also fainted, he saw that the water was rising, but he could do no more. As they lay side by side, a mermaid caught Wendy by the feet and began pulling her softly into the water. Peter, feeling her slip from him, woke with a start. 
and was just in time to draw her back. But he had to tell her the truth. We are on the rock, Wendy, he said, but it is growing smaller. Soon the water will be over it. She did not understand even now. We must go, she said almost brightly. Yes, he answered faintly. Shall we swim or fly, Peter? He had to tell her. Do you think you could swim or fly as far as the island, Wendy, without my help? She had to admit that she was too tired. He moaned. Oh, what is it? She asked, worried about him at once. I can't help you, Wendy. Hook hurt me. I can neither fly nor swim. They put their hands over their eyes. As they sat like this, something brushed against Peter and stayed there, as if saying timidly, Can I be of any use? It was the tail of a kite, which Michael had made some days before. It had torn itself out of his hand and floated away. Michael's kite, Peter said without interest, but the next moment he had seized the tail and was pulling the kite toward him. It lifted Michael off the ground, he cried. Why should it not carry you? Both of us. It can't lift too. Michael and Curly tried. Let us draw lots, Wendy said bravely. But Peter had already tied the tail around her. She clung to him. She refused to go without him. But with a goodbye, Wendy, he pushed her from the rock, and in a few moments, she was out of his sight. Peter was alone on the lagoon. The rock was very small now. Soon it would be submerged. Peter was not quite like other boys, but he was afraid at last. A tremor ran through him, but the next moment he was standing up on the rock again with that smile on his face and a drum beating within him. I am not ready for my final adventure yet, he said. And that is the end of this chapter. Good night. Sleep tight.